I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan coming to you on a record-breakingly hot day in the mountains of Utah. Today's guest is podcaster, host, and all-around media personality, Veronica Belmont. Reading listeners will know Veronica from her book club podcasts, uh, Sword and Laser, and Vaginal Fantasy, while the more tech-savvy will know her as the speaker, host, and presenter of a number of shows for CNET, Gizmodo, Sony, and more. I spoke with Veronica about her career, her love of books, emotional burnout, motherhood, and, of course, the pandemic. It was a wonderful chat. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Veronica Belmont. Really, I was talking to my mom one uh, recently, and I was like, "I know I'm, you know, I'm going to be 39 this year, so I think we're of an age." And yeah. I was like, "I, in my mind, I still feel like I'm 25. Like in my brain, I still feel like a young, much younger person." And she was like yeah, me too. In my brain, I still think that I'm like 25 and she's almost 70. And so it's like, oh no. Oh, oh God. Okay. So we're just like this forever. And then eventually you're just old, but also still think you're young in your mind. (laughs) It's so true though. So I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah. Right. I'm uh, tomorrow afternoon. My, my niece is going to college near me. And so she's flying in from out of the country actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I got to pick her up tomorrow afternoon. And I'm thinking, you know, my 19 year old niece, you know, I'll connect with her. Like I'm young and hip. And then I realized, Oh no, I'm not at all. No, I think the only thing that keeps me feeling young is watching a lot of TikTok. Um, I think that's the only way I know anything. (laughs) Pretty sure. I, I feel like that's that's not a great reflection on our generation, is it? Well, I think it's a true reflection of us because we are the first real true internet generation, I would say. You know, we remember a time before yeah. the before times, the before four. Right. Um and but we also, you know, grew up with with a lot of the things, the proto internet and the internet. And so now we're just, that's how we learn is we jump into things and we kind of progress with them. And even though kids on TikTok make fun of like elder millennials for actually trying to use TikTok, I think it's super useful. And I think it's, you know, a lot of us are finding our own niches there, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird because I still have like this little bit in the back of my brain that's like, you know, when you talk about being like a gamer and stuff, people talk about Blizzard. And to me, Blizzard is still Warcraft orcs versus humans. <laughs> you know, yeah. like there's there's that like weird little disconnect that even though I was super young when it came out, it still feels like, oh, that's the entry to gaming. Mm-hmm. But it's not anymore. Not even close. No, I know. I've, I'm, I'm a former I can't even call myself a gamer anymore because I haven't played a game since basically since I was pregnant 
So now it's like, I just don't play video games anymore, I guess. Um, I don't even know what's going on. Like, you've been playing that cool Viking game, right? Oh, man. I put way too much time into Valheim. It's... Yeah. And and it's like early release. Like, they haven't even put out the first big, like, content update yet. Really? Which they had said was going to be by the end of May. And we're almost at the end of May. And I'm... Like, I'm having that thing where I'm like, okay, they totally, they blew up. They didn't realize they were going to sell 7 million copies. Oh, no. And they had to hire a bunch of people. I'm trying to, like, really be understanding. But there's that, like, gamer thing in the back of my head going, you need to put out content. I've got I've got an addiction to you now. <laughs> what are you even doing over there? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that game looks awesome. I don't have a gaming PC anymore, though. I, I gave my old gaming PC to my to my small nine-year-old friend. And so now he's, he's rot like it was a powerful gaming PC and now he's just cranking on Minecraft. So that makes me feel pretty good. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Valheim's like, it's like, I don't know, Viking Minecraft. It's not quite Minecraft because it's not that, mm-hmm. you know, interactive, I guess, with the environment and stuff, but it's, it's stupidly fun. Yeah. Well, maybe when they port it to, to Mac, I'll, I'll hop on Steam there hopefully. And, and eventually, if, if they always eventually come out for Mac. Yeah. Maybe. See, I'm like growing up kind of, uh, I, I grew up as a PC gamer and as a, um, mm-hmm. and, and with game, with my computer, it's mostly writing and gaming. And so anytime I talk to somebody who has a Mac, I go, why? And then I realize, oh, because Macs, Macs are super useful for tons of other things other than what you use them for, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, I mean, I grew up as a console gamer and then I became a PC gamer really well i had i had a pc growing up but i was way more into like nintendo and playstation and gamecube and and those kinds of things until pretty much until i went to college and then i had a you know a big boxy pc that i did all my work on and that became like kind of like my proto gaming pc um and then when i kind of like moved out to san francisco i still only had i got i had switched to like this mac g4 tower um, and so there weren't really that many games you could play on that at the time. And then I wanted to play, I, I can't remember if I was, had a PC already that I was using for gaming or if I decided that I wanted to play World of Warcraft. And so I got a PC, but somewhere those two things happened around the same time. And then it was just, I became totally PC obsessed until like last year. And once in a while I would hop back into Xbox games or PlayStation because I worked for PlayStation for a while. Um, but yeah, it was, it was always coming back to world of Warcraft and <laughs> stuff like that for a really, really long time. The, the great addiction, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I, I did wow for many years, but then my big addiction was league of legends. Oh yeah. And, uh, and, and I had to go cold Turkey. I haven't played it for probably six years now just because wow. I, I had to just stop because I was putting so many hours into it. And and those type of games, they cost so much rage, you know, you, <laughs> th- those like really competitive games like that. Like I just, I was like, I am not a healthy person yeah. when I'm playing this game. I was, that was, um, I would get into games for a while and just kind of play them to death, like um, Skyrim and Fallout. And uh, the last one I played, really, really played for a long time was Witcher 3. And I think I was over 200 hours in that game. Um, so that was, and and then I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I cannot 
like between work and sword and laser and all the other stuff I was doing, I was like, this is just becoming unhealthy. <laughs> so, <laughs> and now I literally just don't have any time. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Something's got to give. It's because you just had a kid. I did. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. He's going to be six months old soon. Ooh, man. Yeah. Getting old. I know. Time flies. <laughs> that's that's funny. Like You I, mean I, him and not me, right? <laughs> of course. Of course. Okay. All right. No, you're Just still checking. in your 20s, right? We already discussed Oh, yeah. That. 25. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because yeah. uh, I've got a bunch of nieces and nephews and uh, Michelle has a bunch of nieces and nephews. And, and so we don't we don't really feel the need to have our own children because there's so many. Mm-hmm. Both of us come from big families mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm the youngest of six. And she's the middle of five. And so there's just lots of kids. And and so I've I I've got the benefits of being able to be a cool uncle occasionally, but the you know, not having to actually have the responsibility of raising a child. Oh yeah. I do not trust myself. With. You'd be surprised. I mean, I'm not gonna speak for everyone, but I I also went through my entire life. I think I mentioned I'm gonna be thirty nine soon, and so I, you know, I was pretty much like, oh, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this thing. And then we just kind of decided that we were ready and that it was time. And it <laughs> happened over the pandemic, which was unexpected and yeah. unanticipated. But, you know, whatever, you know, you just got to go with it. Right. Um, and I didn't know what I was doing at all either because I had never planned for that. And so I would just kind of, you, you figure it out. And I'm fortunate to have a lot of girlfriends and, and family friends and my mom who were able to walk me through some of the finer points of, of what was going to happen. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you just, you just, you, you, so I, I have surprised myself with being intuitive and maybe that's not everybody and that's totally fine. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm glad we did it <laughs> so, so far. <laughs> yeah. 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 Until they're, until you have to teach them how to drive. Right. Oh God! Why do we let children drive at sixteen? I, I, because why did anyone let us drive at sixteen? Because we could reach the pedals. Terrible idea. I mean, like I know it was for me is because my dad was sick of going to the post office to check his PO box. <laughs> uh, it's like super specific. <laughs> no, it is like like so many like steps in my life where my dad's sick of doing this and I'm big enough to do it. You know, learning how to use the hand mower. Like at ten, you know, why would you give a spinning blade to a child unless you're really sick of doing it yourself? The eighties and nineties were different times. Oh yeah, it's just you know what it comes down to. So, yeah, we had a different different learning curve, I think, for right. entry into adulthood. So you're not a native San Franciscan, then? No, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, I moved. Oh wow! So you're you're an East Coaster then? Yeah, yeah. So pretty soon I will have lived here in San Francisco as long as I lived in Connecticut. Um, I moved out here in uh, to San Francisco in 2004, right after I graduated college. Um, so yeah, coming up on I'm math. I don't know. It's been it's been a minute. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So I, I I've had a couple of friends. You relocate to the West Coast, and I'm from Ohio, which is you know technically Midwest, but kind of east midwest you know area Mm, mm -hmm. and and it's it's kind of a weird it's a weird jump because i i I always uh, one of my best friends moved out there like right after college and i always made fun of him for it because like come on we're midwest kids you know how would you betray like the homeland (laughs) by going to california and then five or six years ago i went out and visited him finally and spent a weekend with him and uh and he was 
he's just uh, right over right down there in Redwood, in Redwood City. And I spent I spent a weekend and walking around, and I'm like, okay, the weather, it's gorgeous, things are just nice. All right, I get it. Yeah, that's a nice area. Um, San Francisco is cold, so today it's. 60 right now in san francisco it's not cold which is fine no i know it's not cold but (laughs) comparatively speaking i'm going tomorrow to a reservoir to go swimming with some friends in east bay um in an area called antioch and it's going to be 85 but the day after it's going to be 100 and that's just that's an hour away so that just kind of shows like how san francisco is very isolated and i guess insulated from from the more extreme weather surrounding it um, because of our our the fog system that we live in right right it's some weird weather yeah um i remember just driving over the mountains to go to the coast uh and and it was just it like gigantic storms and then beautiful weather yeah and it, very weird. Yeah, I like it though. I like that you can drive to the beach, or you can drive to the mountains and go skiing, or you can be in the desert. Everything is just a, a, a few hour drive in, in either direction. So it's fun if you like outdoorsy stuff and camping and hiking or skiing or adventure types things, which I love all of that. Um, so it's hard to find that kind of variety anywhere else in the country. Oh, definitely, definitely. Now, so you've been, since about uh, 2005, you've been pretty much solid in the hosting and podcast and like just the tech world in general. Yeah, um, we, I mean, we were podcasting at CNET before podcasting was the word for it, really, um, and before it was like an official thing on iTunes. Um, so that was my first like producing and, and hosting gig um, was back in. 2004 2005 for cnet um where of course is where i met tom who's my co-host on sword and laser yeah and yeah we've been doing that show since 2007 um so it's been actually (laughs) he's gonna be so mad at me i'm doing your show before i go back on sword and laser next week because i've been away for maternity (laughs) it's it's all right this won't be out for a bit so it's okay okay phew you belmont you did mcclellan's show before you came back to your own show um, so yeah, we've been, I, I love podcasting. It's, it's, I, and it's so amazing how much it's grown and changed and, and evolved in the past 10 years and, and even more so in the past five, four years, um, with some of the big hits that have come out now, I don't even know what to listen to because there's just so many options. I don't know where to start. I get overwhelmed. Well, and coming from kind of my perspective, which is the book world, mm-hmm. like just, audio entertainment has just blown up in general yeah audio sales you know audio sales 10 years ago were hardly anything you know it was just this you get a massive case of cds from the library or something right and and uh it's just it's changed so much and and now i think audio is like 20 percent of my income you know, like that's, that's amazing. It's a huge difference. Yeah. I only, I can pretty much only listen to audiobooks now because I don't, by the time I go to bed at night, I'm so exhausted. I can't keep my eyes open to read, to read a paper book. Um, but if I'm putting the kid down or mm-hmm. going, taking the dogs for a walk or cleaning up around the house, I can listen to audiobooks. Um, so it's, it's made multitasking a lot easier and it, it gives me a lot of enjoyment to be able to do those things and, and have a book or a really good podcast 
Oh, I just listened. Do you like baseball? You know what? I baseball guy. I was huge in baseball when I was a kid, when the, in the Cleveland Indians were like always good in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. And I just totally fell off the wagon after about 2002, I think. Okay. So there's a really great, um, podcast about the Astros um, sign stealing scandal called The Edge. Yeah. Um, and it is like it's like a six part series about the um, the sign stealing conundrum issue from from the 2017 uh, years surrounding that years. And it was like oh, it was so riveting. It was really great. Um, so that's that's a recommendation for for people who are interested in baseball or not legal stuff, but more like the science of of scouting and baseball and how teams are using economics and things like that to improve their stats and chances of winning. But also this like element of sign stealing, which is like more kind of overlooked and kind of like, you know, swept under the rug in terms of rules that are broken and but everyone does it apparently. That's yeah, that's interesting. I remember uh, back in the day when I was really into baseball, my dad and I talked about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And and I remember him telling me about, you know, like I don't even know what teams it was or anything, but like, you know, guys sitting, you know, way out in the outfield with, you know, binoculars and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, just trying to figure out what was going on and having, you know, little earpieces and things. And so that's the thing. They can do that, but as soon as they start using electronics is when it becomes like totally forbidden. Okay. So yeah. So if you're like in the dugout or if you're on second base and you start kind of cracking the code behind the signs that are getting thrown and you can kind of communicate using like foot signals or hand signals or things like that to the batter. That's one thing, like you can kind of get away with that. But as soon as you start using like TV monitors or you know, buzzers or microphones or things like that. That's, that's now when you can get really get in trouble. Right. It becomes like an espionage operation. Totally. It's totally espionage. That's absolutely what it is. So, so is it almost considered like, like a, a sort of corporate espionage in the baseball world? It's kind of, you can kind of liken it to, um, they make a comparison to, What's it called when you're uh, insider trading? Yeah. I guess they kind of compared it to insider trading a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's like kind of like corporate espionage because, I mean, these teams are corporations and they're money makers in a way. And, you know, just the the counter espionage that goes on, right. like when they go to away teams and they'll send spies to the other dugout to like try to see if they have monitors so they can tattle on them before the series starts. <laughs> It's pretty wild, but sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into a baseball podcast. No, no, that's great. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that stuff. And you know, like back to like podcasts and things. I, I love that those sort of things. I love that you almost get like mini series mm-hmm. with these podcasts that are very informative. And even if you're not really well versed in a subject, you can go and listen to something that's six or twelve hours long. Like for me, it's um, the. Uh, it's hardcore history. I knew you were going to say that. As soon as you started talking about that that format, I was like, "Hardcore history is like the best one at that." I absolutely adore it. It's just the best, and it's and you know, for writers, you know, stuff like hardcore history, the Revolutions podcast, you know, things like that. Like, man, it's just killer. You, it's so so inspiring and interesting because it gets into the like the you know like the the stranger than mm-hmm. fiction sort of realities that happened before you know we were alive you know in long long time ago interesting intricacies of 
you know, what it's like to live in, in, in the medieval era or you know, whatever. Yeah. I loved the one on the Mongols. I think that was like, oh, man. that was like a super intense one. Yeah. So what's, what's his name? Um, uh, Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin. Yeah. I, I'm just so impressed by his writing and his ability to, to kind of, I, I heard some once that he just the sheer amount of time it takes to research and write and produce every like, series is is pretty incredible well it's yeah and it's gotta be because when you look at the footnotes for that it's like 30 40 books you know yeah that's like that that i i write for a living and i don't read that many books yeah that's true good point like it's it's genuinely impressive i love that kind of stuff so so you kind of over the last few years, uh, you were you mentioned when we were emailed back and forth that you you've transitioned mostly away from hosting gigs. Yeah. You know, so what's been kind of behind that? Yeah, there was. I mean, it was kind of a slow burn for a while there. I, I for those who kind of don't know my history, which I assume is most people listening to this show, um, I, I you know made my career for a long time doing um, like sponsored content, branded content, like podcasts, things like that. I did a show for Mozilla for a long time. Um, I worked with a lot of uh, brands like Dice.com and IBM to create content. Um, But then I also did a lot of video and TV work as well. And I had been trying to get that side of things going for like, you know, 10 years. And it's just a really hard industry to break into. and I live in San Francisco. I don't live in LA or New York. So that made it even a little more, uh, you know, kind of upped the difficulty rating uh, a little bit for for that kind of job. Um, and so after a while, I just got kind of tired. Like I had been freelancing for so long and it was really fun. And I love taking on new projects and working on new, uh, new projects with new people. But eventually I was like, oh, I kind of wish I could just like have coworkers that I could see all the time and go get drinks with and take regular vacations and not feel like I had to do the whole freelancer hustle deal, like even when I was traveling for pleasure or enjoyment. Um, yeah. And so I kind of spent a lot of time, you know, and honestly, there was kind of like one moment that really kind of solidified it for me. Um, I was hosting the season seven premiere of game of thrones for hbo mm-hmm. um which was amazing it was an incredible night i had so much fun and then afterwards i did the the ultimate like stupid thing which was i looked at like twitter or facebook to like follow the live stream Ooh. and there was there wasn't even a lot of people there was like one person that just was like harping on me um because i had mispronounced something and it's bound to happen. There's a lot of yeah, yeah. words in Game of Thrones that are not right. easy to pronounce. And so I said something wrong. They just would not, they just like laid into me about it. And something in my brain just cracked. And I'm like, why, even though I just had this incredible night, this amazing opportunity that I'm so grateful for, so much fun. And yet I can just get like one comment that's just going to mess with my head for days. And I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like I, I'm fine putting myself out there, but I'm, I don't know if I want to be that vulnerable to strangers in that way anymore, where my happiness and my, you know, what makes me feel fulfilled is predicated on some random person on the internet's feedback. You know, it's like kind of a shitty way to live your life sometimes. Yeah. And it's hard for a lot of us to get away from because we do live such online lives, but you know, so much of my job was kind of not rated on, but, you know, 
I would get gigs based on social feedback or social following. And so that stuff was like an important metric for potential job opportunities. And just that pressure, I, I couldn't deal anymore. I was like, I want to be able to make my living doing work that I feel good about that is, you know, helping people or helping people do something that's beneficial for them um, without necessarily having to tie my whole personality and happiness to that, to that outcome. Well, and I, I bet it kind of made the, the transition to saying, you know, maybe I want to have a kid to be a little easier, didn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I would, I would say so. I think it's been, it's been nice to, I, I generally don't post pictures of him online. It's it's like not a thing we it's something we've chosen not to do. Um there's a couple photos like from when he was first born yeah. and there's a couple of photos with him with like sunglasses on like he's you know hiding from the paparazzi. Um but ultimately like I want him to be able to make that decision and you know when he is older to to not necessarily feel like his entire life has already been placed on the internet for for tons of people to see. Um it's kind of an unusual decision, I think, in, in this modern times that we live in, I guess. Um, but it felt right. Yeah. Yeah. And it does make things kind of easier. Like I was able to be a, a pregnant person and be sick and take time off and, you know, <laughs> not be the same weight I am, not look the same. My hair is gray. My hair is falling out because that's a thing that happens after you have a baby. Yeah. Apparently. <laughs> and I don't have to worry about, you know, that impacting my job you know i don't have to be on camera anymore so it feels that made it a lot easier in a lot of ways but kudos huge props to the people who can do that and you know it, it takes a, a special kind of person a, a very differently strong kind of person to be able to to keep themselves you know out there in the public eye while, while going through something so intensely personal oh yeah for sure and, you know, I, I've seen, you know, I was kind of trolling a little bit through your Twitter feed over the last, you know, like year or so, because I was, I, I, you know, before we were doing this. And, yeah. and I, I, I was fascinated by a couple things. One was talking about going through your pregnancy while being so secluded mm -hmm. and being forced to be at home at all times. Um, and that just like that like especially it really connected with me when you mentioned that you couldn't you couldn't even have your mom around and you know and i'm i'm still you know i'm i'm, I'm a 35 year old man with my own business but sometimes i need my mommy you know yeah, yeah. like that's just fact and i can't even imagine going through something like that and not be able to say hey come over mom yeah it was it was tough. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I would recommend people to have their first child during a pandemic. Um, but, you know, we, we did try to make the best of it. Um, I really did not feel comfortable having my mom fly out across the country. And there's no, there's no direct flight for her. So she'd have to like have a layover somewhere for like a couple hours and be on two pretty long flights. And so I, we made the decision together to wait until after she was fully vaccinated to, to come down. And that wasn't until, you know, March, really, I think March, somewhere around late February, March. I can't even remember when they started vaccinating people anymore, but she was on, she got it like the first like week or two. So that was, that was really awesome. Um, She got in super early. Yeah. And, but yeah, it was tough. Cause I mean, it was, I mean, I have a, my husband, my partner, Ryan is just incredible and he's been amazing throughout this whole process, but yeah, it's nice to have your mom. It's nice to have your girlfriends. Like I, I didn't, wasn't able to do like the baby shower thing or, you know, really get to go hang out with them. 
Um, but on the opposite side, looking on the bright side of things, it was really great, like especially when I was throwing up all day to not have to be in the office um, and not have to call out of work <laughs> or like, you know, be business on top and party on the bottom with my pajama pants on. Like when I had just woken up from a three o'clock nap because I couldn't right. physically stay awake for more than like two hours at a time. Mm-hmm. Um so those were some of the benefits. Um, my team, my manager was super understanding. Um, but yeah, not having to be in the office during those times was, oh, I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that I, that kind of struck me was the, the comment about, um, about a baby being a career, career killer, um, which feels, I mean, I'm a dude. I don't, I can't really understand that and grapple with that entirely, but it feels so massively nineties mm-hmm. and, and yeah. horribly insensitive and, and not true. You know, I know plenty of moms that are, that have way better careers than I do and mm-hmm. they're good at it. Yeah. And I, I don't think that it, it seems like such a, I don't know, it's a horrible thing to say to a person, especially just, you know, in person, you know? Yeah. I don't remember the context of that comment. I think it was a retweet of, of, of just of someone else who had run into that, of someone that they respected had made that comment to them. Oh, yeah. And that's right. Yeah. Okay. I do remember that now. Yeah. It's it's hard because I actually know um, a friend of mine is going through fundraising right now for a company and she does not want to tell her potential investors that she's pregnant. Yeah. Um, because she is certain that that's going to impact their perception of, of that process um, and what she's capable of and what she can handle. Um, and I mean, it's in some ways, so yeah, having a baby being a career killer, it, it is not true for many people, but it's not true, especially for people who have the privilege of being able to work like white collar jobs and have come work for companies like mine, for example, like Adobe, that is like super family oriented and has great maternal and paternal leave um, for employees. And even, mm-hmm. but even by worldwide standards for Western civilization, you know, it's, it's, or West, not Western civilization for Western cultures rather. <laughs> it's it's still not amazing like canada has much better maternity leave much of europe has much better maternity leave um but i'm happy with what i was able to get right um but people who don't work um these kinds of jobs like don't have the how are you going to go to work you know uh in a in an hourly job with kids without being able to have time off without support from your family like there's so many people who just don't have the option of working and raising children and have to find other means and it's just it's it's unbelievable like the choices that people women especially but also parents in general have to make in order to to have families and and make a make a living wage um yeah it's and then being able to find childcare later like the fact that we don't have any kind of like yeah. like free childcare for people up to a certain age like that's that's really tough because you have to make that choice. It seems it's it's very unfair and I think we can do a lot better in this country. Do you do you spend a lot of time thinking about what your career path looks like the next 10 years with kind of a child in the mix? Well, we are fortunate um that I can have, you know, I do have help. Um but it's hard, you know, my mom was a single mom up until I was like 9. And so 
she worked for a big company. And so she had to have a nanny for me, childcare. We were very fortunate to be able to have that. And so she was able to keep doing her career um, until she decided to be a stay-at-home mom when my my brother was born. Um, I always kind of see that from that same path for myself. Like I, I, I love my job. I love my career. I want to keep getting better at it. I want to keep moving further in it. Um, but again, I do have that, you know, that cushion of it being a big company that, that gives us a lot of time off and is flexible on hours. And, um, that's why I moved into that world because I wanted to be able to have that balance as much as possible. It's much harder as a freelancer. It's much harder when you have to be traveling like a number of weeks out of the year to, to go to gigs, um, to go to conferences, to do speaking engagements. Um, I hope to be able to get back to that kind of, you know, I, I still do that as for Adobe as part of my evangelism work. Um, but it's, it's a lot easier. Like, you know, being able to spread it out more and, and being able to make choices about what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, so what is an evangelist? <laughs> um, so an evangelist in the, in the corporate or tech world sense um, is someone who goes out and talks about your product and services to uh, the, the general, you know, general audience of, I don't know, like, <laughs> it's such a weird thing. It's such a weird word in that context. But that is literally my title. Um, yeah, like we I go out and I speak about Spark, which is the product I work on in Adobe at events, I host workshops, I do webinars, um, and basically kind of evangelize the product to the masses. Um, so the people who not necessarily selling. It's not like, it's not like a marketing job per se. It's more like, this is what, this is what I know. This is what I'm knowledgeable in. Let me, let me help you with my knowledge to, uh, you know, for, so you can achieve the goals that you have in in the creative space. Yeah. Now, do you do mostly public or private kind of presentations and things like that? Both actually. Um, A surprising amount of internal like projects, like my big project this week is talking about something we're working on to another group within Adobe. 
Um, so that's a huge part of what I do actually is just because when you have 30,000 employees, like you, everyone wants to know what's going on sometimes. Um, but then I do a lot of stuff like speaking at our, our big, um, big trade show called max every year. Um, so I'll host workshops there or do, um, kind of sessions uh, talking about certain product features or goals that people are trying to achieve. Um, but then also a lot of like going to general design conferences or um, events like VidCon or CES uh, to do panels and talks there too. Do you think that kind of uh, fulfills fulfills the, the kind of um, um, sort of the niche inside of you that that you used to get from going and doing that sort of thing freelance. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm good at it. Like that's something I'm good at. It's a skill I've cultivated over the past 15 years. Um, So it's, it's useful to be able to take that ability to do public speaking and um, kind of be quick on my feet in those kinds of situations and translate that to, to helping the other part of my job, which is being a product manager. I was uh, watching a, I was watching a, a presentation that you did on YouTube the, uh, from I think 2015. And I was thinking, uh, I was thinking six years ago, I could not string two words together in public <laughs> and Veronica's up there in front of thousands of people. <laughs> like it's, I, I have such a huge respect for people that are able to do that and do it, do it not just well, but on a regular basis and be able to both do a presentation, but also work the crowd a little bit. There's a lot going on in there. It's so funny because still to this day, I'll psych myself out before something like that. I think I, I'm I'm guessing you're talking about the XOXO talk that I did. I think that was it. Yeah. Yeah. And I will admit to you that I was sobbing in the hallway, not 15 minutes before I was up on that stage. Well, you definitely couldn't tell. Like throwing up with fear. Oh my yeah. goodness. And yeah. Well, that, that, that makes me feel a little bit better about that. Like hard pit in my stomach whenever I go to a panel at a convention. It's totally natural. And I think the the one thing that does come with time and practice is that once you get up there, instinct takes over. And so even though I was nervous going into it, the second I got up on stage, I was like, oh, I've done this before. Your body kind of takes over, your training kind of takes over. And that helps. Um, and so you do, you do learn that with time. I think, I don't know if the nerves will ever really go away. Um, but what has improved is the, the recovery time once actually getting up on stage. That's, that's, that's good to know as, as someone who hopes to do more kind of things in public, especially now that COVID lockdown is kind of starting to go away at least. Yeah. You know, I just always think of it as like, it's a conversation, you know, for panels and stuff like that. Like you, you, you're the expert. Like people are there to see you. They want to hear what you have to say. Like you're, you don't have to worry about. That's why I think cons are so fun because you you get to go as like an expert in this thing that you super nerd out on or you're a super expert on. Like, and people just want to talk about it. Like they're all there because they're excited to talk about it too. Um, it's just your people, you know. Right, right. And I, I guess I, I'm fortunate. I work in kind of a an industry that's that's a little going to be a little smaller and less less public eye than what you do you know who knows <laughs> oh um so what have you been reading lately have you gotten you you mentioned that you're kind of switched mostly to audiobooks is there anything that's been striking you yeah so i just other than that podcast that wasn't really a book that i just listened to um 
empathy. I'm reading right now a desolation called Peace um, from Arcady Martin, um, who did um, an empire. What was it? What was the first book called? The um, <laughs> oh my god, I remember what the first book was called. It was so good. Hold on frantically kicking through clicking a memory called empire was the first book oh that's right i saw that one everywhere okay yes yeah so that was fantastic um and then the second book is a desolation called peace and so i'm reading that one right now um and it's super good that one i'm actually reading reading so I'm, i'm reading that one um before that i read uh i listened to the invisible life of addy larue by um b schwab and that was phenomenal and before that, I listened to The House in the Cerulean Sea uh, by T.J. Klune, which was phenomenal, just like unbelievably good. So if you're looking for something to to pick up, I thought that that audiobook in particular was was killer, was so fun. Was that one, I, I'm, I might be conflating things, but uh, was that one, it got a bit in the, the Love, Death and Robots on Netflix? I don't think so. Oh, the first season? Maybe I'm conflating it with something else. Hmm. Good question. No, I don't think there was anything. It's funny because I just I just watched the second season of uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yeah. Um, a lot of no robots in this season. Right. Right. A lot of love and death. Was is it love? Is it sex? Is it death, I, sex, and robots? Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I, I keep forgetting what it's called. I think it's sex, but I think I feel like there were way fewer robots this season than last season. Yeah, there was the John Scalzi penned one mm-hmm. that was like the first or second one in this season. It was the first one, yeah, with the um, the, the, the Roomba, <laughs> the, the murderous Roomba. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I actually went back and watched his first one because he also did the first story of the first season, um, which is the three robots that go back to Earth. Right. Um, and I don't want to spoil it, but another another species has taken over. And to me, that is still like one of my favorite shorts of his. That was that was great. I, I loved that. I loved both of those anthology seasons. And I, mm-hmm. I'd love to see more of that kind of thing, just because it is it's almost like a little variety show, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's fun to be able to um yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I just agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it was the same uh the same clip that i had mentioned earlier um and you introduce yourself as an aspiring writer of erotic genre fiction <laughs> and i was curious whether that was a joke or if you actually do some writing on the side you know i i have not written anything in that particular genre um i think it was just from doing the other podcast that i hosted for for 5 or 6 years vaginal fantasy um that made me want to get into that space um uh-huh. i have written some things i don't think they're very good um but that's okay i think you know everyone starts somewhere oh, yeah. um i did i didn't i did NaNoWriMo for a number of years um I actually had the fortune slash slash misfortune of being beta read by Patrick Rothfuss. Oh man. And it was so, he was so sweet and so nice and he read the whole thing and I have never been more mortified in my entire life. It was one of the situations where like, I felt like I couldn't say no because how often do you have an opportunity to have something like that? Like someone you know, he's, he's such an amazing writer and such a great guy to, to read something that you've written. 
And yeah. ugh, and I'm embarrassed to say that I've never gone back and, and tried to do any rewrites or anything. I can't even look at it. Like, I'm so horrified. Um, but I did have something published in an anthology um, mm-hmm. from um, John Joseph Adams. Um, uh, it was a collection of short stories about, um, like, fantastical Kickstarters. Uh-huh. Um, and... I don't know why I'm forgetting the name right now. Um, but I did have a short story in that. And that's the only thing I've published. That's the only thing. Yeah. And that's probably the way it'll stay. <laughs> you don't think you're going to throw your all into the writing genre? <sighs> I don't know. I've thought about it so many times to just try. But honestly, I'm leaving it to the professionals. I, I We did a, we did a um, short story anthology for Sword and Laser <laughs> years ago. And Tom and I have always talked about doing another one. I loved slush reading. I loved putting the anthology together. I loved editing. Um, so that kind of thing, I think I would like to continue to do in the future, whether it's for Sword and Laser or for other projects. But writing for myself is, I'm not like Tom. Tom is so prolific. Like he can just write and write and write. And he does NaNoWriMo every year and he puts out like a novel a year. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just good at that. And to me, it's it's not, I can't seem to get my head together to make that something I do in my in my free time. Yeah, I, I've I've talked before about that if I if I if I was better at something else that made me more money, I'd probably be doing that. Oh, but you then know, we'd I, all be so sad. But right, but I like I love writing, but like there is a point at which if all of my energy was going into something different, um that, you know, I don't think I would want my free time to be trying to create something mm-hmm. because, you know, it's, it's like a level of, uh, of creative energy. It, it wipes you out. Uh, and you know, the idea of coming home from like a real day job, you know, I did that for many years. I came home from a real day job and wrote and honestly it, it sucks. Yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. It's, I, I wish people, readers, sometimes appreciated how hard it is, and I've barely even done it. I, I, I can't even imagine for folks like like you that do it as your as your primary gig. Like it's it's a lot. Well, I, so good on you. <laughs> I mean, I am fortunate that I, it can be my only thing, and so I'm able to you know just I'm able to do it when I can and I, when I, mm-hmm. I've got the energy and things. But uh, you know, I'm I'm always. I'm always kind of jealous of the type of people who can sit down every single weekday and write a certain number of words at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I, it was uh, Kevin Hearn was told me that he does 500 words a day, period. And like that, you know, it feels like I'll, I'll talk about being able to I can I can put out six to eight thousand words in a day if I really need to. Mm-hmm. But you know, kind of big chunks. So 500 words seems small, but when you take that and you, you multiply that by the days in the year, he writes a lot more than I do. And he gets to say, you know, I'm done by two o'clock or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and that's something I've always been really jealous of. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when, when I was doing those kind of writing projects like Nano, like being able to, I mean, forcing yourself to write what is it like 1600 words a day Yeah. Um, minimum just to keep it within the month. And then if you miss a day, the way it all starts kind of compounding after that is, is terrifying. Um, (laughs) Right. 
but it feels really good when you do do it, like when you get it done and get it out of the way for the day. Um, or if you kind of get into a flow and you're writing even more than that. Um, I think that's getting into that flow state, I think, is kind of the goal that I would want to achieve. And I don't know if I have the attention span to be able to get into that kind of brain space anymore. When you were freelancing, did you find that it that the projects you were working on kind of consumed your every waking moment, at least in the back of your head? Oh, yeah. I mean, it totally depends. But certain things, um, especially the more kind of public, like high profile things. Yeah. Even when you're not actively working on them, they are, like you said, just kind of sitting in the back of your mind and taking up space and taking up mental load and energy, um, just anticipating having to do them. Um, and also so many of them involve travel. And I used to have real high anxiety about like traveling and being late to things or being on time. And so that would kind of add to the, to the overall anxiety factor of, of freelance work. Yeah. So what, um, what are you passionate about at the moment? Other than the baby, I guess. I, yeah. I mean, the baby is a very valid answer. Yeah. It's kind of the baby. Um, just like keeping him alive and figuring out like all of the things. Um, I'm kind of in a weird space right now because I do have a lot of like, like uh, physical, like things I like to do, like, like uh, rock climbing and, and weightlifting and all these other things that I literally can't do right now because of the yeah. things that happened to my body during labor and pregnancy um, and the after effects of that. So I'm, I'm still working on getting my kind of body back to a place where I can do the things I'm passionate about. Um, especially now that things are opening up like the climbing gyms and outdoor climbing spaces. Like that's kind of my favorite thing to do. Like, on off work hours, um, is to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to like find time for myself to do the things that I love, like being able to read and being able to, to get outdoors and, and, and that kind of thing. It's, it's tough. It's tough, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot that I'm passionate about. I think I just, I love reading. I love being outside and that's kind of all I have space for at the moment. Do you think that being a person with a lot of different passions kind of helped you get through lockdown? <sighs> or do you think that was a greater challenge because you couldn't reach many of those? Passions? Yeah, it was really hard, I think, to not be able to do any of that stuff because I was very like loved going to the gym, loved, I loved going to work. Like I loved my office. I really enjoy spending time with my coworkers and being there. And so that was already stressful and sad, like when lockdown started to not be able to, to have that. And then, you know, add in the extra isolation of the pregnancy and the sickness and all that stuff, which was hard. But yeah, I mean, I did get a lot of shows watched. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a lot of really good television. <laughs> um, man, I, like, and that's not, that's not just you. Like, I think everybody was catching up on their yeah. reading and their watching. I mean, I know that mm -hmm. my own personal, like, backlist sales went up by, like, 30% for most of last year. Wow, nice. Like, just people wanting to get some ebooks and read and catch up on their lists and things. It was funny taking um, maternity leave from Sword and Laser because I've always had like a book a month that I'm supposed to definitely have to read. And for the first time, I was like, 
I can read whatever I want. I can go back to all those series I never finished and read through those, or I can just pick up like a short story collection and read that. And so that was, that was kind of fun and cool. Like I read all of the Murderbot stories. Like I just like dived into the Murderbot series and, and read all of those. I finished all the Becky Chambers books that I had. Um, so I got, I got to, I actually started rereading Dresden Files cause I had, I had, oh, yeah. I had fallen off the Dresden Files wagon for a while. And I was like, I don't even remember the first book anymore. So I went back and reread the first book and started the series over. Um, so it was fun to kind of be able to just feel like a, a, a fan reader instead of a quasi professional reader. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I've found that since I, became an epic fantasy writer like for a living i just don't read that much Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. you know occasionally i'll do audiobooks but i i I feel like i've switched almost all to history interesting um because because it's interesting to me and because it's inspiration Mm -hmm. and so like even sometimes sitting down to watch like a, a a um a drama of any kind feels like work because my brain's constantly thinking, oh, well, what's the next thing the character's going to do? Well, the writers could have taken this choice and they could have taken that choice and, you know, they could go this direction. And so it feels like I'm always working. So I like I, I end up doing lots of documentaries and lots of history and things like that. Are we going to get some Bridgerton inspiration in one of your future books? <laughs> uh, the the next series that's out next uh, in 2022, June um that one's gonna be uh man that 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 is all revolutions podcast inspired um just you know i i love i love combining the cool stuff from history with worlds that have magic and me not having to do actual historical research (laughs) um (laughs) nice that combo it's fantastic so so I've got one more question for you before I'm going to let you go. And this one's important. Um, it's very close to my heart. Yeah. What's what's the last meal that blew your mind? Okay. Oh, well, I actually had dinner that we picked up from um, this um, this Hawaiian restaurant in town um, called Liho, Liho, Liho. And it was so good and i mean i don't like kind of branch out into we we have our restaurants that we go to like fairly regularly like we cook at home and we usually eat at home like three or four nights out of the week and then the other nights we'll like get out but we'll get enough out that we can get for like have leftovers for the next couple of nights and this one only lasted one night because we ate everything and it was just like really incredible hawaiian food and i've been craving it like ever since then and yeah, so that's that's the best meal that I've had in a really long time. Liho Liho in the Mission. It's on 18th Street. It's a new new spot, and super super yummy. So when you say Hawaiian food, like the only Hawaiian I have any mm-hmm. experience with is kind of chain restaurant Hawaiian barbecue. Um, is it going to be familiar to that sort of thing? Well, they do have like, I mean, they do have some spam masubi, which is like mm-hmm. a pretty popular um, Hawaiian dish. Um, but this place, like, so I'm pescatarian, so I eat fish, but otherwise I'm, I'm vegetarian. Okay. Um, but they had, they have stuff like chicken wings and short ribs, like Korean style short ribs and, and spam steak. Um, <laughs> and they have tuna poke and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, 
and what else? I'm trying to see what other stuff that they really had. What are the veggie options like for somebody for a? I I can't. I've never been able to pronounce piscuit. Pescatarian. I'm terrible at it. Pescatarian. Pescatarian. So just think like the Latin word for fish is is like P E S C E. I think. I think so. Yeah. So pesca. So it's like pescatarian. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, we got, we got like a, like a fish and we got, um, there's cabbage and, and roasted turnips and just, I think we had a little, little gem salad, but I am like, my favorite food is pizza. So if you were about to ask me what my last meal was going to be, it would definitely be pizza. Oh man. I, 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 I discovered way too recently, uh, gold belly. <gasps> I know. And <gasps> I, I love Chicago deep dish. Oh my God. And I realized that if I order a biggest thing I can of uh, Lou Malnati's deep dish, frozen pizzas, it's about the same cost as just getting delivery per pizza. And I get to eat Lou Malnati's at home. Do you have like a, a like a giant, like one of those like meat locker freezers? We've got a small chest freezer. In your house? So yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, so gold belly is like, or good belly. Gold belly. Which is it? Is it gold belly or good belly? Gold belly? I think it's gold belly. Yeah. So that is like my go-to now for like gifts for people because it's like nobody expects it. But like the other day, my when my best friend had her birthday, she's from New York and I got her like a whole platter of like bagels from New York City Ooh. with like the schmear and all the stuff. And it was like straight out of New York. So it was like perfect, like really good. That's fantastic. And like, you're never going to expect any huge shipment of like bagels and schmear and, and locks and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's it's a great, really great gift idea too. But I haven't used it for myself yet. Um, you know, honestly, I, I've barely used it for other people. So I should keep that in mind. <laughs> That is a good gift idea. But hey, Veronica, thank you so much for yeah, coming totally. on and taking your time to just chat away with me. Of course, it was super fun. And and we, you've been on Sword and Laser so many times and you've been such a great friend of the show that I'm, I'm happy to do it. Happy to do it either way. It's always a blast. Thank you so much. That was Veronica Belmont. Thanks again to Veronica for joining me. You can find links to Veronica's social media down in the show notes. You can find me, as usual, at brianmcclellan.com. One small note about a reference we made to the Netflix show, Love, Death, and Robots. I was conflating two different stories when Veronica mentioned House on the Cerulean Sea. I was thinking of Zima Blue, which is based on a short story of the same name by Alastair Reynolds. So if you're looking to go pull that out at a party, don't make the same mistake I did. You'll look like a fool. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production support. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.